You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, this is episode 18 of Orange and Back Check. A successful week to say the least. Six out of six points for the Philadelphia Flyers with six on tap for this coming week. Starting against the San Jose Sharks. A man sitting across from me who had no value this trade deadline, Scott Weinhardt. What's going on? I haven't had any value on a trade deadline since about 2012, and even then, I didn't really have much value to begin with. So that's what happens <laughs> when you're when your uh, hockey goals against average is uh, north of four. Nobody wants you, so uh, that's what happens. But yeah. it, I, you know, I gotta admit, last season I did bring it down. I got it to four even, which is which is good, which is good for my age and my skill set. Not for the adult hockey league that you're in, though. Yeah, yeah, adult hockey league, yeah. <laughs> it's so, you know what? It Stats don't matter. It The cool thing is what I, I think that anybody who plays may understand is that it's not about actually playing. It's about the group you play with. I've, I've played hockey with guys, and I've hated it. And I've played hockey with guys, and it's been awesome, even though we may have sucked because they're a good group to play with. I'm playing with the same yeah. guys for years now, and it's the fun thing to do. But – this isn't about me. This is about the Flyers and about the trade deadline. And, Bill, I got to give you credit right off the bat because you nailed it last week. You said they were going to get six out of six points. You're absolutely right. I thought there might be a little disappointing loss in there somewhere. But it didn't happen. So it's beautiful. No, they came up. They really came to play. And, like, it's – I think they – I think that's the difference between this year to last year not just AV getting out the skill set that this team has always had, I believe. Just the fact that they're able to show up night in and night out to some degree. Obviously, they uh, compared to the regular season of what has been happening in the Winnipeg game, they had a decent first period, and then they kind of slumped in the second period. If they cut down this first period slump and just in general slump that they have – they're going to make some waves, serious waves. And I think that's what one of those factors of why they didn't do too much. They did some key move, they did some depth moves at the trade deadline today, but they didn't make that big splash compared to the other teams in the in the Metro Division. Well, I want to bring up this whole slow start thing that we talked about before. I wanted to bring it up last week and I didn't. But I, I don't understand this whole thing that people are obsessing over slow starts. Every game starts one nothing. The point is, the Flyers play better when they're playing from behind. They play with more of a sense of urgency. They play more of uh, desperate hockey, as Peter Lavalier used to call it. 
The whole idea is, though, is that when people say, oh, well, when they go up, you know, they have these slumps in the second period and so on. Yeah, because the other team is starting to play a little desperate and a little sense of urgency. That's that F word we talked about. What's my favorite F word? Oh, it's flow. It's all about flow. It's all about flow, and that's exactly what it is. So it doesn't matter if you go up one nothing to start or you go down one nothing to start. I mean, hell, they went up early against the Columbus Blue Jackets at home and then again against the Jets at home, and then on the road they went down 3-1 against the Jackets and still won that game. So it's not about how well you start. It's about how well you finish. And as cliche as that sounds, back off the slow starts. And secondly, you're right about not making a big splash because I think that from what we talked about over the past couple of weeks, they want to see what they have out of this team. They added two depth players that solidify the center role and they solidify the bottom six, which is exactly what we've been talking about over the last month, that you need that to go into the playoffs and you need that in the playoffs. Right now, their bottom six is playing very good hockey. They've added to that. So... We're going to get into the splashes that we saw today, but even so, the splashes don't always pay off. So, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see if, I don't think this team is ready to say, okay, we're ready to win a cup now. Let's go make that big move. They're not there yet. No, they're not. And I think there's also just the fact, and I almost forgot to plug this, I wrote an article today for Sports Radio WIP, 94WIP.com, about how suddenly the Flyers are the best team in Philadelphia. And the reason for that is not because they've made these big splashes or they've done a total uh, roster overhaul between the, the Hackstall era, quote-unquote, and the new regime in Elaine Vigneault, but just the fact that Elaine Vigneault took what was a pretty similar roster. Obviously, the core is the same. Voracek, Giroux, Couturier, those guys. And they added the key pieces in Matt Niskanen, Kevin Hayes. You can argue Justin Braun. Obviously, I love Tyler Tyler Pitlick, so I'm going to put him in that, in that group as well. But the potential for what this Flyers team has always been there, especially after, especially during the three years of Dave Haxtall, but Dave Haxtall was never able to pull it out. Elaine Vigneault is getting that out of that. So I think what Chuck Fletcher is seeing is, or thinking to himself, okay, I know this this team, as it sits, is not a straight-up Stanley Cup playoff, Stanley Cup final contender, but there's a potential for a run there. We talked about it last week, you specifically talking about how they are they really might be primed for a run. And the way they played last week, I tend to agree with that. I, and I wrote about that in on the web on wip 94wip.com. But I think that there's just that expectation when you're as good as what the Flyers have been playing, especially now that they're top 3 in the Metro suddenly and 3 points out of that second second seed place in the Metro. People all of a sudden like you got to make a move. You got to make a move. You got to sell your draft picks. You got to figure out and get the the big name, quote unquote. There was no need to do that. And like you said, the bottom six has been playing well, and you just needed to add a little bit of depth to solidify not just your bottom six, but in retro in in turn the top six. You're you're in the, the Claude Giroux's because as I told you off the air, Claude Giroux has become a guy that needs to be playing on the wing. And this solidifies that for sure. He's going to be playing on the left wing for the rest of his the season with a couple of faceoffs here and there because he's still one of the best faceoff guys in the NHL. Yeah, and the thing is, is that we can talk about 
what we did last week, like we talked about, where they're they're this team is built to go deep into the playoffs. They have if they if the cards fall right and they get favorable matchups, that's going to be very good for them. This isn't a team like the Hurricanes who are going to throw away some draft picks like they did today to be able to go on a run. The team like the Islanders who threw away some draft picks today to go get a player, probably not worth it, and try to go on a run that way. The Flyers aren't there yet. You know, I, I hate to compare sports, and I hate to compare situations, but think back to what the Eagles were in 2016. You have this young team. You don't know what you have. You have a Carson Wentz coming in and some young players around it. Well, the Flyers are kind of like the 2016 Eagles right now, except they, they have a good chance of making the playoffs. The reason why I make that comparison is so everybody can understand is that we knew that was a, a new coach coming into town, a, a new regime after the disaster of Chip Kelly, trying to come in here and trying to get this team going. And you got enough out of that team that season. So when you go into the 2017 season, you make the right moves, you get the right players, you put them in the right spots, and then guess what? All of a sudden, you're 13-3 and three and you win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Flyers are going to do that this offseason specifically. Hockey doesn't work as quickly as football does. The point I'm trying to make is that this year is kind of a feeling out year. Next year, they're going to evaluate in the offseason and say, okay, A, do we have the cap space to be able to make a move? B, if we don't have the cap space, which player can we trade out and create that space in order to get someone in here who can have more of a higher impact? Right now at the deadline, this has been the most active trade deadline in the past four or five years. I haven't seen it this active in a long time. Which is funny because leading up to it, it was relatively tame and quiet. Like there were a couple of like minor league uh, exchanges here and there between teams, particularly uh, cross conference. But overall, it just exploded starting as early as like 10, 10.30 in the morning Eastern time. I'd say it started last night at 8 o'clock when Ilya Kovalchuk got traded to the Canadians for that third-round pick. That's true. I, for, I almost forgot about Kovalchuk's move to the Capitals. And he turned down a trade to the Bruins, who are actually favorable as well to possibly do something in the postseason here because he probably wanted to play with Kovalchuk, his home countryman, which I, I totally understand. But, I mean, for a third-round pick, you get Ilya Kovalchuk. That would have been a nice little, okay, that's a nice little move there to go on that run there. But... At the same time, I get it because I don't think the Flyers want to mess up the chemistry to this 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 team. And I and from what I understand is that the team went to management and said, "Don't break up the roster. We want to do what we have here." That's huge to me because that says now that okay, they have enough confidence they think they can get the job done themselves. And I believe it because I've seen enough out of it and enough character out of this team to be able to do that. You know, that started that last night. The chips started to fall couple of the bigger moves is like we saw Mike Green go from Detroit to Edmonton, which is going to help them out on D. But I, I think the biggest moves you're right started right before 10 o'clock this morning. That's when J.G. Pajot probably was the biggest available asset this trade deadline season. Went from the Senators to the Islanders for a first-round pick this year, which is conditional, a second-round pick this year, and a third-round pick in 2022. And I think that the Islanders completely overpaid on that. Oh, 100%. For a guy who, while, yes, he did score four goals in a playoff game against a couple years ago, and but he was probably easily the best player on a really bad team, eating up a lot of minutes. This could backfire on them because 
Pajot needs a lot of minutes to be effective. The Islanders gave up a lot. I mean, they gave up two and a deep draft year. They gave up two crucial picks. While they'll be later, they'll be crucial. So a couple years down the line, the Islanders might regret that. So I, I don't know if that's a good deal for the Islanders. No, I, I, I think it's to your point about how the Flyers aren't looking at themselves as a team that is one move away, one piece away. They're just going in with what they have to see what they can get out of this in a Stanley Cup playoffs. Because I think at this point, they're confident enough, despite how little room for error they really have at the end of the day, especially when it comes to in-division opponents like they have this week against the Rangers, twice at that. Like, they're confident, and I think if you were to pull them off the record, they'd say, yeah, we're making the playoffs. And even Vigneault has said it publicly. We're a playoff team, and we're making the playoffs. I think just that they are confident in themselves to say, we can do what we can with what we have. So they don't have to make that huge piece and give up these assets that the Islanders did, that Carolina did, even Pittsburgh. At the end of the day, what happened today in the Metro Division particularly is everyone is gearing up for that cup run. They all see themselves as cup contenders, whether it's Pittsburgh or Washington, down to even uh, the Carolina Hurricanes just teetering on a wild card spot right now. Like, the only team that didn't do anything who's completely stumbling are the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're completely wiped out, it seems, and it's I don't know if, if they're going to be able to turn this around. The other teams in the Metro are able to turn this around. There's going to be five teams in the playoffs that are from the Metro division, and I don't think that's happened before in NHL. No, this division is really, really tight, and it got a lot tougher today, especially Carolina. They're the ones who just seem like they're all in on this. It's yeah. crazy to me. They they went all in. As Looking at this from a perspective of NHL management, I'm, I'd be very reluctant to tear my team up at, at – the deadline. I really would. I think that what you have there, unless you have a player that can make you specifically better, like a, a, a better team, like a better player can make a better team. Those players don't come up that often. I don't think JG Pajo is that guy. So I wouldn't give up three years worth of draft picks, essentially of high draft picks to, to pick up a guy who I could get in the off season for nothing. Also the fact that another big move today Probably the biggest one of the day. Carolina made the most moves today. They they really upgraded the roster. They picked up Vincent Trocheck from the Panthers for really just Eric Halla and Lucas Walmart. Now, Eric Halla had a really good year two years ago with the Vegas Golden Knights. Broke his leg last year. Hasn't really come quite back yet. But, you know, the thing is about him, he's a 30-goal scorer. And he's about a 55-point player. That's his career high. The thing is, though, is that he has, he's got 22 points so far this year, Eric Halla does. And they also traded Lucas Walmark, who's got 23 points this year. Vincent Trocek, I think that the, they're trying to do is while he while he is a... The reason why that Florida traded him, by the way, is a report came out today is that, that the owner told Florida management they need to cut $10 million in salary next season. So, which doesn't make sense to me because you just signed... Sergey Bobrovsky to a $10 million a year contract. You brought in a really expensive coach in Joel Quenville, and you're going to take a, a key 
part out like Vincent Trocek, who's been a pretty solid player. He scored 30 goals two year, three years ago, but last year only played in 55 games, only had 10 goals. This year he's only got 10 goals. I think Carolina is banking on the fact that he could get back to that 30-goal form, but at the same time, too, you almost gave up about 30 goals. So I don't understand why you want to limit that production. I don't see how Wild solidifies them up the middle because center is really the most important position in hockey besides goaltender because they play 200 feet I don't know if that's a huge upgrade for them and they're they're struggling right now and it doesn't make it any better with the fact that they don't have goaltending right now either because they Peter Mrazek got a concussion the other night after James Reimer got hurt and they had to bring in an emergency backup goaltender that wound up beating Toronto so which is crazy to me that guy was the the oldest debut goalie win in NHL history at 42 years old Incredible stuff. I, 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 I'm blanking on the guy's first name. I just know his last name is Ayers. Yeah, David Ayers. And 42 years old, I, I saw that. That was amazing. The last person to actually do that was Scott Foster. He was really the first emergency goalie ever to play in a game. It's never yeah. really happened before besides that. But I think that I guess that they didn't go get goaltending. They're banking on James Reimer to do that. But yet again, James Reimer's not going to carry you to a final. So with all due respect to him, neither is Peter Mrazek. So... I, I don't know exactly why they would make that move like that. I guess they're looking at a longer term, but I don't know if that was a big move for them either. But they also did bring in, they also brought in um, uh, Brady Shea from the Rangers for a first-round pick, and then they also picked up Sammy Votnin on defense from the Devils. So they gave up a lot of stuff today, so they're all in. I don't know if it's going to pay off for them, though. I really don't. And, uh, you know, taking a team – who is on the fringe of the playoffs like that, and you're bringing in three new players at the deadline, I got to wonder how long is it going to take for everything to click for these guys in this locker room to get with it because I, 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 don't, I don't think it's smart to tear up a team if they're playing well enough. I, I 100% agree, and that's why, like, despite how active the Metro was and the top tier outside of the Flyers, every Metro team that's in playoff contention – made a mild to large splash to not today at the t- trade deadline. But at the end of the day, none of it scares me. Like I don't I still don't think any of these teams have completely separated themselves to say that is the new top tier team. Uh, like Washington and Pittsburgh are the top tier teams. Like as much as we talk about how uh there's a real shot at them getting that second seed that second spot in the Metro division, chances are the best they'll end up is third in division or that top wild card spot. That's I think the Flyers' capital. Like if they somehow get the second t- second spot, good on them. Like that's e- that's incredible an incredible feat to be able to catch a Washington or, or or a Pittsburgh. But either way, none of this scares me, and I think the competition has pretty much remained the same. I, nothing here has I've has worried me that the Flyers suddenly are going to be on no matter how well they play they'll be on the outside looking in by game 80 82 all right and I think that's absolutely the way to look at it they 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 are in a great position right now to be able to take what they have and just go with it and I think that there's enough chemistry on this team and enough consistency on this team that I haven't seen this in years. I haven't seen this probably since the last decade. I, I can't remember a time a team has bonded this well together to be able to do that. Maybe 13-14 when they turned over a lot of the roster. They brought in Steve Mason. They you know they, they did a lot of changes at that time. Brought in Mark Streit. 
you know, a lot of younger guys like, you know, Luke Shen and, and Braden Shen. That was the last real, like, turnover we've seen on this on this roster. And that was the last time I really saw them having the chemistry and even consistency, which took them a while to get. I haven't seen that. We haven't seen that in the whole Dave Heck, uh, Dave Hextall. Uh, Dave Hextall. Ron, ha- Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall. Does it really matter at this point? <laughs> That's what it feels like. But the Hextall-Hextall era, we, we never saw any of this consistency. It was always up and down. It really has been... Like since the Laviolette and the the t- interim year of Barubi, who like at this point you could argue Barubi leaving was the biggest one of the biggest mistakes they let happen because of the Stanley Cup win in St. Louis. But you're shaking your head. Do you disagree? No, no, I don't think Barubi was ever going to win a Stanley Cup with this roster. Yeah, th- where they were sitting, it just they need. But at the same time, how much has that like the core has remained the same? It still has always been Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek, and then you can plug in a third. You can always kind of say Coots, but, but... But we always talked about this, too, is that what are the most important players in a playoff round? Your bottom six. The Flyers right. didn't have a bottom six that was effective for a long time, which is why they lost to teams like the, the Rangers in the first round and, and the Penguins in the first round that they could have beaten if they had more depth, but... That's what happens is that when you rely on Giroux, Simmons, and Voracek to score all your points then that's why you don't win playoff rounds. Last one as well. I mean, it was really just came down to where nobody's really scoring except like Konechny and, and, and some of the – and Giroux and Voracek and, and even Simmons. But like at the same time, now they have a bottom six that is contributing. Scott Lawton had two goals the other day. You're getting goals from Nick Aubey kubel JVR, while he's hot and cold, at the same time he's still – up and down where he can contribute when he needs to. He's not hot at the wrong times. Jake, look, as much as we've ripped Jake, really me, but at the same <laughs> time, how much as I've ripped Jake, I watched Jake a lot over this stretch here, and I'm very, very, very happy with the way Jake is playing. He's not half-assing it. He's hustling back in the defensive zone, and he's skating very hard in the offensive zone. I wish he would stop these little stretch passes that keep getting turned over at the opposing blue line, but I'll, I'll take it because he's doing the little things that need to happen. Vigneault has got these guys bought into the system. Vigneault has got these guys bought into the fact that they can win with what they have. So really, it comes down to this, is that I'm very happy the Flyers didn't go out and try to get J.G. Pajot or Vincent Trocek was available. Joe, go and try to get him and get a big name because really, it's not the moves you make that can put you over the top it's most of the time the moves you don't make case in point in in 2010 when they made the cup final they only made one deadline deal as yep. ravaged that team was with the with bush getting hurt and and uh, ray emery getting hurt they brought in mike layton off waivers that team went and got ole christoph tollefson they, they got him and or either they got him or they traded him but it was a minor move or a team that was so on the fringe back then, and that core, that team, took it all the way to the end. Now, does it happen like that every single time? No, because a lot of teams who don't get in don't make moves like that, don't make splashes. But at the same time, they believe in their core, and they believe in the team they have in that locker room to get the job done. I don't want to get in, in a debate about what happened in 2010, but everything that went could have gone right for the Flyers to make that run went right every top team seed lost every like they everything went right obviously you also had the 3-0 comeback against Boston but like that besides that 
everything broke their way. I, I agree, and that's what I'm saying, that this year is that the cards fall the same way. I could see the same thing happening with this group yep. because of the way they work it. I'm not trying yep. to compare 2010. I'm making a point that they didn't make a move that year, and year right. they really could have used help, and they still got there. So loading up and teams like – Look, the Islanders are going to be dangerous in the playoffs regardless. They're a little hot and cold right now, but they're going to be dangerous when they get there. So does adding a guy like J.G. Bajo help them right now? Yes, it does. Does Carolina getting Vincent Trocek right now help them? Kind of, if he can regain his form. But ultimately, when I look at this Flyers team, do I, would I put them against any team in the playoffs? 110% yes. I think they're really, besides the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning, I, I don't see a team that could really blow this team out. They're just they're so evenly matched with everybody else. Let's talk about these the, the acquisitions that the Flyers did make. They made two um, notable moves. They made a couple minor league deals here and there, but it was really just kind of like, hey, you're going to go to now the junior league and you're a representative for the Flyers now, or you're under the rights of the Flyers now. So they acquired two centers this year. One was Nate Thompson out of Montreal, and they also got Derek Grant. Derek Grant was, as you told me off the air this afternoon, this was the move. Like, Nate Thompson is an asset to, obviously, the bottom six, just like Derek Grant, but he adds a little bit more to the penalty kill. Derek Grant's going to come into your bottom six and immediately have an impact in terms of scoring. I believe he has... Almost 20 goal, twenty points on the season, about 10 goals. If I remember off the top of my head, I'll look it up in a second. 14 but, goals, 6 assists. Right. That's even more than I anticipated. I thought he was lower towards 10 or 11 goals, like just right down the middle. And that's on a bad team, on a fourth line of a real bad yeah. team. So, and he's a minus one if that if, if you're going to put a ton of stock into that. Which that, is great for a really bad team. Uh, right. Listen, listen, uh, they're... Anaheim's in, in almost the basement of their division. I mean, they're they're second from last. They're just ahead of Los Angeles, who's having a really bad year. So to be just a plus, I'm sorry, be a minus one on, on a bad team, that's going to be very well on a good team. So the idea is, is that bringing in Derek Grant here, he's a minus one on a real bad team. So bringing him to a good team, that's actually going to bode very well for the Flyers. Listen, he... I don't think he's going to have as much impact scoring as you think because he's he's just a really good bottom line guy, a bottom you know, bottom of the end. He's solid on his own end, plays well, too good two-way game. Doesn't have a whole lot of skill, uh, but the thing is is that he fits well in the bottom six. It, this says to me by bringing in Derek Grant, who's actually a pretty solid fit for this team, that Nolan Patrick probably isn't coming back this year. I think that picking up two centers today, it kind of – you know, resigns the fact that, okay, even if Patrick is good to go, they're not going to rush him. He's probably going to spend some time in the AHL before he would come up uh, because you got to see how it works in a game situation. Nate Thompson? Nate Thompson is your depth center in case something happens to Lawton and or Grant. So, I mean, he's a good penalty killer. He's going to play tomorrow night. Actually, because Derek, I should I should – Go back to Derek Grant real quick. Derek Grant can also play the wing. That's what makes him more versatile. Is that you? Yep. Can, he can slot in on the wing on a higher line. By the way, Vigneault was kind of talking today. It seems like that Farabee is getting sent down to the AHL. That he's not going to be up for just a little while here to get back into a groove. Probably they're going to try Derek Grant on the wing with Kevin Hayes, and then you're going to have 
Nate Thompson center the bottom line with either Raffle or Kubel. Um, so I think like Bunneman's going to probably go back down. You'll see that kind of move there because Albe Kubel's actually been playing pretty well lately. But he, Nate Thompson, 35 year old, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. They both are. But, you know, he could also play the wing. He's more suited at center. Even this year, on a not very good Montreal team, he's minus two. So to me, that's pretty responsible. You know, when I see that, when I see on bad teams, the teams that are getting outscored, and that he's only a minus two in the year, that that says that says a lot to me. So um, I, I'm pretty happy with the moves they made today. These guys are going to be a lot more helpful than the splash looks like. So while they didn't make any giant moves, these are the moves they needed to make to get into the playoffs and make an impact in the playoffs. I just look at it as it's not going to. I teased a little bit earlier in the in the show. Like it, this is not a move that just it benef- it obviously benefits the top six. We've gone in and out about how it does, but it also helps the top six ipso facto because Claude Giroux has continued as he ages. He's like I talked about this in the article I wrote on for ninety four wip dot com. Like this core, while still intact and proficient in what they do, is aging. This window is getting smaller and smaller. You could you I you could argue to me today that the window has closed and we're pissing in the wind here. I wouldn't I I would disagree, but I would hear out that argument. But I'm still under the fact that that window is still open. But Claude Giroux's uh responsibilities have moved, shifted. He is more comfortable in the wing at this point in his career. It's why he ended his 13 goal drought this earlier this season, earlier uh, a couple weeks ago. On the wing, as soon as the, a couple of these players got healthier, he immediately shifted back out to the wing, and that was it. To to sew up this centerpiece in Grant and Thompson just solidifies that no matter what happens, unless something catastrophic happens to this core, or excuse me, these centers, Claude Giroux will not see the center position for the rest of this season and the playoffs. And that's all the benefit for him. And that doesn't mean he's not going to take face-offs. He's still going to be able to take face-offs. He's still one of the best in the league. But him not putting that pressure on him is going to be helpful 100%. And it extends him as well. You're, you don't have as much responsibility when you're playing the wing, really. It's just that when you back check, you're not supposed to drop below the dots. You're not playing a full 200 feet, ideally. You're not. And since we've seen him shift back to the wing, He's been more productive. So I think it goes back to the fact that when he's at center, he doesn't have the players around him anymore to be really a really an effective center. But his skill set is still there that when you put a good center like Couturier with him who can feed him the puck, that's where his points come up. So I want to see a little more power play production out of him still, even with Konechny, your boy, with that contract yeah. not living up to those expectations on the power <laughs> play. But – that's another thing is that now, by making these moves, th- this is a, a team that doesn't have one player it needs to rely on. And, and, and that's that's huge. And before, the way the Flyers were always built in the past, it would always be like one or two players they had the whole team built around. Let, let's go back. Uh, Giroux and Voracek, okay? Everybody else, yeah, it's whatever. You know, you had your Matt Reeds who were there, Pierre Edward Belmar, all those guys who really didn't do much for you like you need them to. Go back into that decade. You had Carter and you had Richards. Who did you have around him? Eh, Gagne, really, at that point. You know, and they had a couple guys around him at that point on the defensive pronger in them. But By the way, 
the rumors that the Flyers were going to trade for Jeff Carter today, thank God that did not happen. I knew it was like, going to happen. Like, you kn- I, yeah, I, I, like, I understood the argument to an extent, but to bring Jeff Carter back here, it would have been a Christopher Stieg situation all over again. No doubt in my mind. No, I disagree. I think Carter could have worked, but I think the issue is a Carter has a high contract and there's still term on that deal and you're yeah. paying se- you're paying Kevin Hayes 7 million dollars. There's no reason to bring another high price center who's age 35. Really at this point just has such a shot to rely on. He doesn't have any speed anymore. He's not the player he used to be. He's had two bad seasons in a row. Granted the team's not good, but still uh Carter's not what he was 7 8 years ago. But even so, going back to that, the Flyers had Carter and Richards. Before Carter and Richards, it was Forsberg. Before Forsberg, it was Lindros and LeClaire. And the really, the last time you know you could really go back and see a team that kind of can do possibly what the Flyers do, you're going back to the 80s and those 80s teams that started making those types of runs. This is the type of team that they have here now. They don't have one guy doing all the work. They don't need to. They have a complete team effort where everybody's chipping in, and when the top six isn't performing up the snuff, the bottom six is picking up. And when the top six gets going, the bottom six doesn't have to do as much. So, uh, scoring-wise, anyway. And and you need that because in the playoffs, those top six guys are going to be shut down a lot. So, it's going to be tough when they get goals. They're going to be hard-earned. That's why getting a guy like Derek Grant, who's got 14 goals in the year. You got Nate Thompson, who I think um, he's got four goals in the year, I believe. Won't get you a lot on offense, but you need him on the back end for the penalty kill so you're not burning out Kevin Hayes as much on that. So all this stuff balances out, and it just stocks the cabinet for making that potential run come April. Yeah, and that brings to to the concluding point. Like, this team is ready to go on a run. We've talked about that for the last two weeks, really, now in, in in this podcast and last week. Like... And it doesn't get any easier. This the we talked about how two weeks ago was a big six game stretch where they had to come out and they came out five hundred. Then they had a really nice week against Columbus and the and win against the Jets to get six points. And now all of a sudden they're in the top tier in the top three of the Metro Division. Doesn't get any easier starting against San Jose and then they have a home and home swing against the Rangers. So it's another six points on the table for this team. I, I, I'm feeling good, but I think there's going to be a letdown game against San Jose. You know, it, the the numbers would say that. When was when's the last time they actually, let's just say, um, how many wins do you think they have against San Jose since the year two thousand? Oh, twenty years. Ooh, I would say no more than ten, but I'll go six. Six. All right, that's good. If you're factoring in ties and just going straight on wins, they have won. Three games against San Jose since the year 2000. And oh, actually, they went a stretch from January of 2002 until February of 2000. And, I'm sorry, February of 2014 without a win. So they had ties. The last win before 2014, their last win against San Jose was December 21st of 2000. That is absolutely incredible to me was it at home or away uh it was actually at home and yeah, see, if i'm not like, mistaken i think i kind of remember watching that game i think steve shields might have been a, a game at that time i had to look at that but uh yeah I, I i i kind of yeah it was steve shields look at that man i'm on my i'm on my game 
Uh, look at your boomer yeah, memory. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. I remember Steve Shields being a shark because before that it was Mike Vernon. I know that was 1999. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, I mean, they've always had trouble against the Sharks since that game in 2002. They have not been able to beat them. They've had ties, but really, they have they hadn't won them in 12 years. And even then, since then, since 2014, they've had. They had back-to-back wins in 2017. They won in February 2017, and then in October 2017, they won. But other than that, it's just straight L's, losses, overtime losses, nothing. So we talked about the uh, last week how Winnipeg hasn't won in Philadelphia since, like, 2012. Well, Flyers just can't beat San Jose for whatever reason. Now, San Jose is having one of the worst seasons in franchise history. They've been decimated by injuries. Guys aren't producing. They're old. Younger players are starting to do more. They fired their coach. Martin Jones, the goaltender, who's really a good goaltender, uh, has been playing awful. Uh, They've been playing Aaron Dell, their backup more. He is what he is. So, they, but yeah, I I see your point. I could see a letdown game here. They, They can't afford it, but I could see it. So, hopefully, they can turn this trend around and actually beat San Jose this time around because they need every point they can get how tough this division got. Yeah, it, like, if they can – they lost – this was – the last time they played them was during that god-awful stretch in the winter Christmas break uh, when they were on the West Coast swing and they got crushed. The 6-1 to one loss, which is just awful for a team that is as bad as San Jose this year. So, like – the best case scenario, like, I think this is going to be four or five points at most. Like, if they can grab an overtime point against San Jose, despite their success on the road, or excuse me, at home this year, they have this third best uh, record going into tonight at home, only behind Pittsburgh and Boston. Like, that's the only thing going for them against San Jose. Because San Jose is just, it's just one of these thorns in their side that they cannot figure out, no matter how who the roster is no matter who the captain is so i think it's four or five points on this se- on this week right now which is successful like four or five points at the end of the day sounds like a lot it sounds like a good amount when six are on the table but when you're as tight as this natural division is it's a scary thought to drop just one point and that's the thing yeah and i, I wouldn't be surprised to see three points this week i really wouldn't because look i I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I would take say this. I, I can see a letdown game happening, but I, I would hope they would not do that. However, the same thing is they haven't lost back-to-back games since December. So, I'm sorry, early January. Or that, that stretch in the – That same that stretch, rest, Yeah, right. that same stretch where they lost to San Jose and all the Pacific Division teams. That's the last time they really dropped a lot of games in a row. So, I don't expect them to do that. I think they're consistent enough. But this, this just reminds me it's – the Flyers coming in hot. San Jose losing four straight, not being so hot. This has shades of the Devils game with just all of a sudden the Sharks just win like 5 nothing or something like that. I just see shades of it. But they, it's not a bad thing if that happens. Kind of hit the reset button a little bit because then you go into two crucial matchups against the Rangers. And while the Flyers beat the Rangers earlier this year, we actually were watching the game together. They were down like one nothing the entire game. Lundqvist was standing on his head, and they, they pulled that one out. The thing is, though, is that now the Rangers are nipping at the heels of the wild card. They they were they looked like they were out of it. Like we talked about two weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden, they're four points out of a playoff spot. So, Carolina's got to keep pace off their heels. The Rangers have four games this week. Rangers have a busy, busy schedule. They play the Islanders tomorrow. 
So the Islanders, the new look Islanders, the Rangers are the hottest team in hockey right now. They're eight and two in their last ten. That's huge. Now losing their goaltender Igor Shesterkin, their goaltender got in a car accident today. Uh, he, that's a scary thing. Glad he's okay. Him and Pavel Bushnevich, uh, glad they're okay. It's a shame, too, because I, I really wanted to see the Flyers play against that kid and see what they could do against them. Uh, but that means that Lundqvist is back in it. So that's going to be a, a tough matchup as usual. But and let's see. The Rangers don't have an easy schedule this week either. Montreal is still kind of hanging in there. They have the Islanders, Montreal, and, and the Flyers on the road. Then they come back home to play the Flyers on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, they play the Blues at home. So it's a tough stretch for them. And it's really important for them. So this is going to be like playoff-style hockey here. Yeah, and that goes beyond. This is obviously a wrap on February for the podcast, and we'll talk again on uh, either Monday or Tuesday, depending on how our schedule fits uh, between Scott and I. But this is, again, I, I, we keep reiterating this. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but there's no room for error. The, the room for error is slim to none for this final stretch. These final 20 games, including the back-to-backs that they have as, as oddly placed as they are, it's going to take a lot of strategy, not just out of Chuck Fletcher, who did a decent job, I thought. Uh, I thought he did a good job today in terms of the... Uh, uh, of of the trade deadline, but then who he's going to call up to just get some fresh legs in here. That's going to be a cause. That's going to be a, his next step. And just Elaine Vigneault. Like, there, I have all the trust in the world in Elaine Vigneault, but it's going to take a lot of strategy on these next couple weeks, these, these final 20 games on what happens. So... It's exciting times for the Flyers fans. If you're not on board, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, one, welcome aboard. We're glad you found us. We're glad you're here. But, my God, this has been a stressful season, but also a very, very exciting season in terms of just actually having competitive hockey in February, March, and April. In early April, obviously. I'm excited as all hell for this these last 20 games. I don't know about you. Um, remember what I said back on November, I want to say 11th or 12th, when they mm-hmm. beat Boston and wound up winning four in a row. And, uh, you know, um, I said one thing that I wish everybody could go back and replay because I don't want to pat myself in the back, but God damn it, I was right. This team is fun to watch. They're fun. They're fun to watch. You're absolutely right with this. We have been saying it all season long there's just something different about this team this year I'm not saying they're going to go win a cup I'm, I'm not saying that but I'm saying that I haven't seen this team play this way and and battle the way they have and make it enjoyable to get into a hockey game again you know for a little while there in the hackstall you're kind of just watching hockey and are just waiting for the games to end to see what happens but I'm telling you each time I watch a game now, I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm I'm getting into it and and my 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 son is getting into it and my wife is getting into it and and I married a Rangers fan. I'm sorry, Philadelphia, I did, but I'm converting her. So just hang in there. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point is, is that she's getting into it. Everybody I know there is is getting into it. And come playoff time, if this team is in the playoffs, which they likely will be, I'm telling you. It's going to be a party down there at the Wells Fargo Center because we have not been able to enjoy the playoffs around here since 2012. Really, that's the last time they won one. I mean, and you yeah. felt it in that Penguin series. 2014 against the Rangers, you kind of knew they were outmatched. 2016 against the uh, – or 2017 against the, the Rangers, eh, 
you felt like they were outmatched there a little bit. And, sorry, 2018 against Penguins, 2016 against the the Capitals. Eh, you, you knew they were outmatched there. But man, get this team into the playoffs, man. Oh man, I'm telling you what. I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to go up there to Revolutionary Row, which if you haven't been to the Wells Fargo Center, that is the best seat in the entire house. The whole section is couches, standing room area. It's it's fantastic. The Bet Rivers Casino area. I was there for the Sixers game the other night, and I hadn't been up that far yet since they built it last season. It is unbelievable. So they have, like, the Flyers have three games for 59 bucks a month. I'm telling you, if you haven't gotten down there, Get down there because it's fun to watch. And rant. Sorry, Bill. Love when you go on these rants. Like, I'm excited as all hell. Like I said, it's going to be a fun final 20 games. We hope you enjoy it too with us and join us next week. And beyond that, uh, we have a lot of plans in the future for the playoff schedule. We'll get more into details about that as they come along. But what we do have that is solidified next week, we have a huge announcement regarding the, this podcast. It's going to be astronaut. I, I to say that th- we to to be making this announcement after starting this podcast in October is something I would not have expected. So I'm really excited to make this announcement. We'll get all into details about that next week. We'll let you guys know we're beyond excited. But until then. Check out the pod, rate and subscribe, check us out on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, join us for all the games, we're obviously doing the live tweeting, all that nonsense, all that awesome stuff, it's going to be great. And my dad jokes when we do live tweeting. If you haven't been able to tell, (laughs) you pointed out last week, that was great. That, That Elvis has left the building, like, to be fair, you were not the only podcaster, beat writer, anyone to do that everyone did that joke but just because it was you with two children i it, the opportunity presented itself it was such a dad joke yeah yeah I, i'm that guy but that's okay that's okay Fine. that's okay but so. we're we're and, and, and to, to piggyback off what you were saying i'm i'm so pumped for next week with the announcement we have and uh yeah it's gonna be huge uh, we'll get into details about that. Again, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all that great stuff. We appreciate you listening. If you have comments, send us an email, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. Uh, until then, we'll talk to you next week. Can't get rid of this cough! <laughs> <laughs>